What a great opportunity we have. We are continuing this uh, message series today. We, um, we've been at this for four weeks. And today we are finishing our Fully Alive series talking about the beauty of multiplication. In these weeks, we've been using uh, a, a, an illustration or a metaphor uh, of a tree to kind of explain what the normal function of a healthy church should look like. The, the tree is a biblical word picture metaphor that's used many times over, starting in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, where there's two very important trees. One of those trees, the tree of life, we see again in, in uh, the book of Revelation, but not as in the garden, but it's in the city of God. Throughout Scripture, you've got pictures of trees and vines, things that represent the gospel, things that represent God's work, things that represent God's people, uh, Israel. Psalm chapter 1 talks about that the, the, the godly person is like a tree that's planted in a well-watered area and produces fruit again and again. So, I'm drawing here, with my limited artistic skills, a tree. What do you think? Should we make it a fruit tree this time? There you go, little fruits on there. We have been saying, see if you can remember this with me. John already got us started. See if you can remember me. We've said the roots represent what? Maturity. The depth of maturity. We've said that trunk represents what? The strength of unity. And today we're talking about this part, the branches, the, the fruit and so on. We say these branches represent the beauty of multiplication, multiplication. Were you, do you, have you ever done that thing where you start a word and then you don't have enough room, you've got to cram the last four letters in really small? Um, it's fun. It's fun. I love drawing things. Are any of you doodlers? Do you have any doodle in your sermon notes? So it's okay. It's okay to do that. Well, these things and these pictures, these images are, are really vital for us, this whole picture, because we're saying that as a church, our, our vision, what we see, where we, where we see this going is that we see a church that's fully alive. A fully alive church, international and, genera- and intergenerational, uh, glorifying God through maturity, unity, and multiplication. That's what we see. That, that's, the, that's the picture we have for the future. Well, a vision is only possible if you have a mission of what you do to get there. Our mission is this, that we, we lead those apart from God to come alive by finding their way into the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and following him together. That, that, that's what we're here to do. Why would we do that? Why would we have a mission like that? I'll tell you why. Because without Christ, people have an eternity apart from him. Scripture gives us a, not a multiple ways to, to Jesus, not a multiplicity of ways to God. There's one way through Christ. But there are two destinations. There's a destination with God for eternity, and there's a destination apart from God for eternity. The Bible uses words like hell, uh, uh, torment, uh, Hades, death, and the grave. Uh, terrible things. And so we have a mission because we care about the eternal condition of people's lives. And the reason we have our mission or what drives our mission is a purpose. And our purpose is this, that we exist to be fully alive, making Christ Jesus known from our communities to the whole world. Why would we do that? Because that's what Jesus said we would do. He said, go make disciples of all nations. 
We want to people who glorify God. We want to know Him and we want to make Him known. So we're going to be fully alive as we, as we do that. That's our desire. That's our desire. I hope that's your desire. Jesus did use um, stories when he taught. He used what we call parables. And, and these, some of these parables included things like trees and vines to, to illustrate important truths that he was teaching them about the life and the kingdom of God. I, I want to share, for example, just a couple of short parables with you. You can just listen to these. These are found in Luke chapter 13. But this is our Lord Jesus teaching. And, and some of his parables were really encouraging and positive like this one where he said what's the kingdom of god like how can i illustrate it it's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in the garden and it grows and becomes a tree and the birds make nests in the branches you got this picture of something that starts so small and yet becomes a blessing it flourishes it becomes attractive and help healthy and helpful for the whole landscape but some of the parables that Jesus told are, are troubling. Well, one goes like this. He says, Jesus told this story. He says, a man planted a fig tree in his vineyard and he came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he, he said to his gardener, I've, I've waited three years. And there hasn't been a single fig cut this tree down. It's just taking up space in the vineyard. And the gardener said, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. And if we get figs next year, fine. And if not, then you can cut it down. And then just Jesus just leaves that story hanging right there. He doesn't say how that story resolves. The expectation is that fruitful, that trees will be fruitful and produce and fruitless trees will be removed. A tree, especially especially the branches of a tree, right, are are there to produce a blessing. I don't know if any of you enjoyed, for example, maybe an orange off your backyard tree this morning. I, I picked this off the tree just this morning. Oh, it smells good. So excited about having this when we're all done. It's like, you know, like these guys are up here with their gear on. It's just like after a soccer game, you're supposed to eat orange slices. So put that up there. Or how many of you have would be willing to drive a little further across a parking lot at the grocery store if you can just get your car under a little bit of a shade under one of those few trees in the parking lot. You'll, you'll angle your way. Just, you'll even park like super close to the line or a little bit over. You can just get part of that shade on your car, right? Or, or you know, whether it's for fruit or shade or just the beauty of it, we love trees. They're a great picture. And this part of the tree is what we love. It's what we love. A tree is a picture of life and growth and, and multiplication. I've got a picture here from my uh, family reunion last summer. It's, it's a family tree that my mom crafted. It represents that our, our family is growing and it's, we expect it to continue to grow and flourish and, and multiply. Parents at the bottom, there's my siblings and I and then spouses and kids and, you know, there's group my parents have been great grandkids up there and they, it's fun it's exciting we wanted to see it flourish and grow all these tree metaphors all these word pictures represent the body of Christ so well because the bible uses these metaphors of branches of vines of trees of but the bible also uses metaphors like family and the human body 
right? All of these things are expected to grow, to flourish, and to extend in, into the world in a healthy way. It's the beauty of multiplication. We're going to read a scripture passage here, Ephesians chapter 4. We've been in Ephesians the last few weeks. We're going to finish up today in Ephesians chapter 4. If, you're, if you have a Bible, I invite you to find that. If not, just listen along. That's totally fine. Um, if you're in one of those red church Bibles, the page number is on the screen. If you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can always download one to your smartphone. Use the Bible app. But I encourage you to invest in a paper Bible, too. And I'm, I'm old school that way, but it's good. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 11. Remember, when, when you're in the, in the Bible, the, the big numbers are always the chapters, the small numbers, the verses. And you never need to feel bad about using the table of contents the beginning of the book. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Overlapping a little bit with last week, Ephesians chapter 4 starts at verse 11 by saying this, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. Right? It's important. As each part does its work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he's written so many of these New Testament letters, he has this habit of jumping around between word pictures or word metaphors. And, he, and we're going to do that actually as well, if you'll, if you'll forgive that. We hear we've been talking about a tree, but here as elsewhere, Paul wants us to imagine the human body, right? And to visualize the healthy church as, as the proper movement of a healthy body. When all the parts of the body are working fine, you can... Play and work and move and do whatever you need to do. When one or two parts are not working very well, the whole body feels out of whack, right? I have a friend who's, he said to me last weekend, he said, hey, I've taken racquetball up again. Do you want to play racquetball with me? I said, I played racquetball a few times. I'll teach you. I'll show you how to do it. It's no problem. I've got an extra racket for you and everything. Okay, so Monday I went and played racquetball with him, which nearly killed me just in that hour. And then, Monday, and then Tuesday and Wednesday came. And I was so sore. And the sore parts of my body said to the rest of my body, we're just not cooperating today. We'll come back on Thursday. I mean, it's, just, it's like so the whole thing just fell out of whack. And then we played again Friday. And uh, did a little better. I scored three points instead of two. So it's pretty good. Listen, the idea is that a body, when healthy, will grow. Now, if you've had children and you look at pictures from their little years, you think, let's go to that picture right there. 
Is it working for us? We think this. Exactly. Exactly, right? And you think they're so cute. Oh, they're so cute. I wish they could just always be little and cute like that. Well, you really don't wish they could always be little and cute like that because you expect them to grow, right? I can only show that picture because both my sons are out of the country right now. So I could never do that if they were here, but don't tell them, please. Uh, Oh, that may have made it on Facebook at some point anyway. So listen, ask any family raising children with developmental disabilities. It's, It's not easy. It's hard. And it's not what they expected when that child was born. There should always be change and growth and development in life. That's what's normal. That's what we expect. You're, you're not the same that you were a year ago or five years ago. At least I hope you're not. Not physically and hopefully not spiritually either. You're growing. And, and the same should be true of the church. We shouldn't be what we were a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. We're growing. We're maturing. We're Malt should be multiplying. That should be. If we were healthy, we would be. Your, your influence and our influence as a church and reach and effectiveness need to grow and multiply because we're meant to be a blessing. So if you're taking notes, if using that note sheet in your, your program this morning, you, want to, you may want to write this down, that according to Paul, multiplication is the natural result of an outward life. Multiplication is the natural result of an outward life. I mean, think about this. Those of you who, who live your life, your natural life, you live it outwardly, right? Those of you who are, you're generous, you're willing to reach out to new friendships, right? You're, you, you try new activities, you, you take on new business opportunities, you, you, and some of you, some of you are like wondering, what should I do this year? Generally, you'll find it's worth the risk, right? You, those of you, you, you're willing to visit new places and try new foods, you, you're an attractive person. You're growing in your confidence and your influence, your success. All those things multiply in your life as you live your life outwardly. Uh, but people who live a closed, safe, defensive, fearful, selfish life do not experience that kind of multiplication in their life because it stays inward. Well, the same is true in the church. right? I love, for example, that we've started to do some, some things that are taking us off the campus or helping us get our, even our getting our campus into the community more and more and help us develop a heart for our neighborhood. Some of you have said, well, we've been hiding back here long enough. Let's time to get the word out. And so, you know, we've invested time and money and work into things like the journey to Bethlehem and the party in the park and the city fest and this baseball clinic that's coming up. We, we choose to live outwardly so that we can make Christ Jesus known for the benefit of others first and for the benefit of ourselves second. The Ephesians passage, I want to give you three things that I think the Ephesians passage shows uh, about how multiplication happens. Multiplication happens when? Three things. You can write these down too if you want. Uh, first, looking at verses 11 and 12, we embrace multiplication happens when we embrace the equippers. What do I mean by that? Well, it says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Those people are gifts. Those people are God's gift to the church for the purpose of equipping the church to do what? To do the good works that God planned for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that you are made new in Christ as God's 
workmanship, God's masterpiece. You're created anew in Christ Jesus to do the very things that God planned in advance for you to do. God planned things in advance for you to do. But you know what that means? They're, they're there for you to do. But you need to be trained and equipped and, and helped into doing, doing those things. That's what those equippers are there to do. We're here to help you. And, and you know, I, I would ask you this. Are you supporting the equippers and learning from them in your life? So multiplication happens when we embrace the equippers. Multiplication happens when body parts do their thing. When body parts do their thing. I, you know, this is the strength of unity and the depth of maturity we've been talking about. Different parts, different functions we've already mentioned, but one body. Unity is a choice. Unity is a choice. It's a decision you make to engage and to work with the body. You know, if you ever find yourself sort of working against your own body, working against any organization you're a part of, whether you're working against even the church that you're a part of, that's called cancer. And it's destructive. It's, it's not healthy. And, and I'm asking, are you supporting the healthy function of the body by doing your part to the best of your ability? And then a third way the multiplication happens, it happens when we commit to both truth and love. We commit to both truth and love. As the old, old saying goes, right, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, truth does not change. Truth is truth. But we look for ways to communicate it more effectively in a more understandable way again and again. And uh, Paul says here that we speak the truth because it's easy to be misled into things that sound good but aren't true, right? So we're going to be committed to speak the truth, and as we're mature, we grab hold of the truth, but we do so in kind and loving ways. When you, when you, you know, when you speak to your neighbors, your kids, your friends, your parents, people in your life, your students, do you do so from a place of genuine love? Are you speaking the truth but delivering it in love. Now, as we've done the past couple Sundays, we've looked at Ephesians, kind of look at the technical side of all this multiplication stuff, but we're going to jump over to the book of Acts for a case study and how this really worked in the early church. A case study. So if you have a, still have a Bible with you, why don't you turn, go to the left into the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. It's the, Acts is the book. If Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those Gospels, those are the ones that tell the story of Jesus, how we got the good news message of Jesus. The book of Acts explains, okay, what, what now? How, what happened? It's the story of how the church started and how the church grew and flourished and influenced the entire Roman world. So we're in the book of Acts, and um, we're going to be in chapter 11. And I'm just going to read verses 19 to 26 for you. To this point, um, the church has been flourishing, but as we touched on it, we may remember we mentioned a guy a few weeks ago named Stephen. Stephen was uh, bold in his faith, and he was the first Christian, the first believer killed because he was a believer in Christ. The word is martyr. He was the first martyr of the church. And once he was when she was killed by, by stoning, it, it sort of unleashed this fury of persecution against Christians. And so Christians fled. They ran for their lives. They scattered all, all around uh, just to, to save their lives. And so we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 11, big number 11, a small verse, small number 19. It's the verse here. He says this. Meanwhile, um, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death. 
traveled as far as Phoenicia, that's to the north of Israel, Cyprus, that's that island nation, and to Antioch, Assyria, further north. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus in Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles or to the Greeks about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22 says, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, that people were getting saved in Antioch, when they heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw this evidence of God's blessing. And he, he was filled with joy and he was encouraged and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Verse 24, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Really, really important city. I've got a couple pictures of that very city today. Thank you to Sarah Stombach for getting me these photos. She was there last year. What was Antioch of Syria then is today Antakya of the southern tip of Turkey near to the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, there's three pictures there. Uh, uh, Morgan will just cycle through those for you. Antioch became the major city for Christianity. It was from Antioch that Paul and the others were sent out as missionaries. To the, to the Roman world to spread the gospel, to plant churches all around the empire, right? So, and then later they were the ones to help the believers in Jerusalem. So very, very significant city um, for the entire spread of the gospel. It, it, this was an unplanned shift and it took the gospel, the good news of Jesus, from effectively being like a Jewish sect to become a global faith movement. Now, what would your reaction be and what would my reaction be if we were in their shoes persecuted for being believers in jesus persecuted for following christ if if church members here were being put in jail right or maybe your children threatened or maybe if a church leader was murdered by the authorities would you And would I, would we do what these believers did? Would we go spread the gospel some more? Or would we hide? Maybe we wouldn't even bother showing up to church. We would just, would we invite others? Hey, come come be a part of this movement. You'll probably get killed. Would we do that? Because that's what they were doing. And this account reminds us of something really, really important that you can write this one down too, that multiplication is the normal outcome of the gospel. We live in an era when it's like, oh, if it's too hard, if it's too inconvenient, we probably won't, we probably won't bother to go if we just don't feel it. These guys, they were going because they had experienced Jesus personally. The gospel life is an outwardly lived life. We talked about it in the natural, when you live in a naturally in an outward way, the gospel is the same way. We're not here primarily for our own benefit. We're here for the benefit of others. And that's not to say it would have been easy for them. I mean, imagine these these Jewish believers, so they've, they've, they've scattered from their, from their home city. And by the way, just think about it. In those, those times, you live basically in your same village or city your entire life. And now they've, they've left. They've gone to Antioch. And so at first, they're only sharing the gospel with other Jews who had already scattered around the Roman world. And it took believers from other places. So let's go to that map. Um, 
Cyrene has mentioned it's a, it's a city on the northern tip of North Africa, which would today be uh, part of Libya. It took believers from Cyprus, which is the island nation, and kind of off to the right there, the eastern side of the Mediterranean. And those ones, those believers, they were going to Antioch, and they were the ones to tell the gospel to the Greeks, to the non-Jews. By the way, can I say this? If you are ever in the, in the market for a Bible when you go Bible shopping, get a Bible with maps in the back. That's really, really important because as you're reading and you see, read about places and things, then you can go to the back and say, oh, let's see, can I find this on this map? Oh, whoa, that's a long way. Or, oh, that's pretty close. Or it really, it really helps your Bible reading kind of come alive and make sense. So make sure you get a, a Bible with, with maps. It's a lot more fun to read when you have that. But it took those foreigners to bring the gospel to the non-Jews. And, and the Christians in Jerusalem heard about it and they were suspicious, right? So they sent Barnabas to investigate. Now we're always, honestly, let's be honest, we're all naturally suspicious. When we hear about something that's new or someone's breaking the mold on something, we're like, oh, I'm not so sure about this. I don't, Barnabas, why don't you go check this out? I don't know, are they really doing the right thing up there? Now Barnabas is really cool because um, we get a number of Barnabas. Here's, a, here's like a trivia question for you if you ever get asked a trivia question. Um, you can you can slot this one away. Barnabas is not his real name. Anybody know what Barnabas' real name was? Joseph. His real name is Joseph. His nickname is Barnabas. I don't know, not, not exactly a nickname I would come up with, but it means son of encouragement. Barnabas was the guy you like to have. We would call him Barney. Um, not as in purple Barney, but like, you know. Barnabas was the guy that like everybody wanted at the dinner. Well, is Barnabas coming? No, but I'm here. Yeah, but I was kind of hoping Barnabas would come. Like, that's Barnabas, right? He was, he was just so encouraging. Acts 4 says that he was the, one of the first ones to sell a piece of property and give the money to the church to, to support the other believers. Barnabas was the one that when, when the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, uh, got dramatically saved and, and had been a persecutor of Christians, Saul got saved, and the Christians were like, we don't trust him, we're not so sure about this. Barnabas said, I'll take him under my wing, I'll train him up, I'll, I'll, I'll handle this. Later on, there's a guy named John Mark that even Paul was not so sure about working with. He'd travel with him, and Paul said, ah, that guy's immature, he's not going to make it. Barnabas said, I'll work with him, I'll train him up, I'll develop him. And he did, he was very effective at that. Barnabas was one of those guys that could see the potential in people. He could, he believed the best for people. Great guy. Love Barnabas. Super, super. One of the kind of unsung heroes, I think, of the New Testament. And could, you know, allow these people to change. But look what happens through the persecuted believers. You see it there in verse 21. It says that, that a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. You see it in verse 24. It says, uh, many people were brought to faith in the Lord. Many people were brought to the Lord. This church, made up of persecuted, relocated people, was multiplying, it was growing. Why? Because the, the gospel life is an outward life. And living outwardly lives to multiplication in all areas of your life. Now listen, these were ordinary people. These were not people who had been apostles of Christ. right? These were not people who had seen all of those miracles happen. These were ordinary people, people like you and me, who were experiencing terrible hardship having lost everything that was familiar to them, right? Uh, and yet they were the ones to share the gospel. And I, I, obviously I don't know what's happening in your life today, but I find this really, really challenging to me personally because most of us are pretty comfortable, and including me, and I, I like comfort. i got to say, 
I like it when it's comfortable. And uh, Jesus did not call us to be comfortable. Jesus will comfort you. He has promises you eternal life, but there's no promise of a comfortable life. And as these believers were running for their lives, leaving behind businesses, leaving behind homes, leaving behind family members, leaving behind everything that they'd always known and been familiar with, even then, in a new city, right, they were, what, building up the church, making new friends and leading them to Christ, not holding it to themselves. They're meeting, making new neighbors and say, hey, by the way, I've got this great news I want to tell you. You know, this great news I want to tell you cost me everything, but I want to tell you about it anyway. I mean, just put yourself in their shoes. It's just a dramatic thing. They did not keep it to themselves, as I normally do and as you may normally do. We, they were not sharing even from a position of strength. They had no free trinkets to give away, no free mugs to say, hey, by the way, I just want to give this free mug and tell you about Jesus. None of that. Right? They were coming from a position of weakness, of nothing, and yet possessing everything because they had the good news. They cared about the lost people around them, and they desperately wanted to see the unsaved receive eternal life. Now, there may be a little elephant in the room, or a big elephant in the room, or or perhaps not, but I want to address this for a moment. You may be thinking, right now, Brian, I wish you'd stop talking about this, because I like my life as it is. I like my church as it is. I don't want to change or multiply or grow or make room for anyone else. I don't want to change my schedule. I don't want to do anything new. I don't want any extra meetings. I don't want any classes or small groups. I just want it to stay. Everything in my everything else in my life is changing rapidly, and I just want this to like be in cement for a while. That's what I want. I, I like my comfort. I'm not really willing to give up my preferences so others can come to Christ. And I'm saying... I'm inviting you to say, I will give up my preferences. I will make those sacrifices to multiply and let help the lost come to Christ. Because let me remind you of the tree. The tree is only healthy if, it, if all parts are functioning. Right? Roots, trunk, and branches. Those dead trees up in our mountains. Here's a picture at Bass Lake. Those dead trees suffered a combination of infected trunks because of the, the bark beetle, the pine beetle, and Dry roots because of the drought. And those two things left dead branches on top. Now, some of those trees, those ones have all, I think, all been cut down by now. But many in, up in the hills, many of those trees are going to stay standing for a long time. Because they, 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 they can hang on for a long time. But they're going to be dead and ugly because there's no life to them. There's no life to them. Remember the parable of the fig tree. Right? The farmer plants the tree, doesn't produce anything. He says, cut it down. The gardener says, give me a little more time. And then you can cut it down if it doesn't produce fruit. God has not planted us to consume resources and then not produce fruit. Fruitless trees get chopped down. So, copying those early Christians, let's just talk briefly here about how we can live a multiplying life as individuals and as the church. Uh, First, we want to live a life that's outward for the gospel. Live a life outward for the gospel. Those transplanted believers were not hiding their faith in Christ. They lived it out loud. It takes, takes practice. Get yourself to a place where you can make a difference. Just real briefly, you know, I've talked a lot about City Fest already, but in the first three Sundays in February, in our adult classes, we're offering evangelism training so you can, in natural ways, 
share Christ with people. I mean, I'm asking and inviting you to embrace that and be excited about it and learn all you can learn. Say, look, I don't know everything there is to know. I could learn something new. Let's be a part of that. It's a great opportunity. So live outward for the gospel. Secondly, make room for others to change. You know, one of the things I love about Barnabas is that he could, he could let people change. That's why they send him up to Antioch from Jerusalem. Sometimes we, we have a hard time with that. We, we're slow to trust. We, we're slow to give people responsibility and authority. But let's not hold someone's past mistakes over their head. Can we do that? Can we agree to let people do better, let them change, let them be, you know, let, let's, you know, sometimes we think that little, little Joey who was a rascal at 12 is still going to be a rascal at 12, 22 or 32 or 42. People can change, people can grow and let's, let's not hold mistakes over people's head. So let people change. And the thirdly is to be flexible, to move and change yourself. Be flex- This is honestly, this sounds easier than it is. Okay. Because we, we all love things the way they are in our own lives you know, we love stability. We love our routines from, from a, you know, just simple as like how I put my shoes on in the morning or whatever. We just, we love things a certain way and that's easy and comfortable for us. But we've got to be willing to, to be flexible to move and change. Because what if those believers, those Jewish believers that say, you know, we have not included Gentiles like this before and there's no way we're going to do it now. Forget it. Forget it. They can start their own church down the road. That church would not have flourished and exploded through the Roman Empire the way it did. And I'm sure it was not easy for them, right? I mean, it meant mixed ethnic groups at their gatherings, maybe even mixed languages. And so they're having to interpret some of that. Um, you, you can just imagine their, their potlucks had all these mix of foods and some are still eating, you know, kosher Jewish foods. And someone else brings like beans with, with you know, bacon in it, which would be awesome. And they're like, ah, oh, I can't eat that. And can't you be more sensitive? I mean, they would have had to figure out all these things as they function together. But they were flexible to move and change for the sake of the gospel. I would say, friends, it's not easy and there's a cost to it. But it's worth it. We want to be a multiplying church. Because I really do, and I think you do too, I really see a church fully alive. Right? International, intergenerational, glorifying God through maturity and unity and multiplication. We could be that. But listen, one last comment. It's not the church's job. It's not the job of the institution. You and I, we're the church. It's on us. It's up to us to make Christ Jesus known to our community and, and beyond. People, apart, people around us who are apart from God are going to spend an eternity away from God if they don't get a chance to respond to the gospel and meet Jesus for themselves. We've got to make it known. Multiplication. It's a natural result of an outward lived life. But multiplication is also the normal outcome of the gospel life. In a moment, we're going to witness a baptism here this morning. And um, let me just make a couple brief comments before we let all those people in over there. Children from Children's Church. Um, Crystal, are you going to help with that? Uh, Maybe you uh, don't know Jesus yourself yet. And you hear us talking about this and you think this is a cool place. And, but you have never actually personally come to that place of giving your life to Christ. If you've given your life to Christ, it wouldn't matter if someone killed you for your faith. Because you can't kill someone who's already given their life away. You can't take my life. I've already given it to Christ. And it's secure with him. So you can take my physical life, but my eternal security is taken care of. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ to receive forgiveness of your sin 
and to know that you have an eternal future with God. Today would be a great day to do that. I'd love for you to come talk with me or talk to the person you came, you came with today and say, I want to give my life to Christ today. We'd love to help you with that. And then secondly, to say, God, how can I live my life outwardly to be a multiplying person in a multiplying church to make Christ Jesus known in our communities and beyond? A couple of real practical things that evangelism training already mentioned. Be excited about that. Those three classes are coming up in the first three Sundays of February. Secondly, connection groups. Uh, we've got sign-ups over there. And there's, the bonus today is that if you sign up for a connection group, you can get a donut. I mean, it's kind of awesome, to be honest. And so, um, but maybe you've never been part of a connection group. You're scared. It's four weeks. It's four weeks. Give it a try. We're all going to be on the same material. We're going to be tracking with the sermon discussions. And then the third thing I would say is um, make use of this Palau prayer card. At, we distributed these a few weeks ago. But I made them available to you again. They're on the seats. I've got a few more on that table over there. And all you do on here is you write down some names, let's say five names of individuals or couples that you're praying for that they would give their life to Christ. People that you would like to invite to the, perhaps invite to the Palau um, Festival. People you're caring about. And I'll give you an option. You can either tear this off and drop it in the box and have others pray along with you. Or if you'd rather hold on to it so you remember uh, who you're praying for, you can do that and slip it in your Bible. Some people have been taking a picture of the five names for their phone and then they turn in the card however you want to do that but let's be diligent about saying god there are there are people in my life who need jesus now if you have no one in your life who doesn't know christ yet now you're someone who needs to expand your life outward more so that you get to know some people who don't know jesus yet and you can put your names their names in there you're going to be praying for them that they would encounter jesus eternally let's stand together as we close in prayer gracious god we are grateful for this moment. We're thankful for the, your word that captures these accounts. Lord, I just think of those believers who, in fear for their lives, in terror, abandoned everything and went to a new city, and they did not use that as any kind of excuse, but it just caused them to tell the gospel more and more. God, would you make us those kind of people? Lord, you make us those kind of people. I pray that we would become a multiplying place like a, like a gorgeous, fruit-bearing tree for this whole neighborhood, for this whole community, that people just find life here day after day. We thank you. We give you our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.